Welcome to the cave, where we deep dive on your favorite scary stories. And some you may not know will become your favorites later on. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> what, what's up? Welcome to the Dragon's Cave. Uh, we do deep dives the stoner way on your favorite scary stories and histories and all that creepy crawly crap that everybody else is too afraid to deep dive on. Lore. Actual real life stories. Legends. Anything we can come up with for the subject at hand. We're going to bring it to you. So suspend belief for just a minute. And maybe just don't really uh, second guess everything. We'll do that for you. So if you're interested in any more information on who we are, we are the Dragon's Cave podcast, um, also part of Bait Vikings, which is the second podcast we do. Oh, yeah. Um, right now, for in terms of social media, we are still working on an Instagram, but you can find us <clears throat> on Facebook, the Dragon's Cave dash podcast in your search engine. Yeah, I know. A lot of typing, but uh, get your thumbs ready because it's going to be worth it eventually. Um, and for, and we'll mention it later on too, we also have a fan mail uh, email address, the Dragon's Cave Mail, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. Anything you want to send in, any comments, anything like that, shoot us an email. And just for fun, those fan <coughs> stories, I figure, will be really entertaining to be read by Smeagol and Golem, or at least as good as I can do of my own impersonations of them. Gotta keep it fun and interesting, right? Yeah. So, tonight's topic is the gin and Dybbuk boxes. Because, as some people may not know, they are one and the same type of supernatural creature. Or at least most of the time. Um, so, when it comes to gin, <laughs> the gin, depending on where you're from, what lore you like, it's spelled a couple different ways. I just kept it to D-J-I-N-N, just because, you know, I like to throw everybody off. Um, so, in order to lead in for anything creepy, jinn are mentioned in the Quran. With Islam, the uh, the passage that at least I found in my research is verse 15, 26, 27. Indeed, we created man from dry clay of black, smooth mud. We created the jinn before that from the smokeless flame of fire. Yes, I'm all. I'm at least part black. Woo! <laughs> so that's something that also they are known as the Karin. Metaphysical Doppler spirit or your shadow self. Oh, yeah. Good times. I actually heard a story on a different podcast one time about uh, shadow selves, but I'll have to remember that story and figure out where the hell he found it. So and maybe we can make that another podcast topic. The Shadow Realm. Or Ghost Shadow Kids. Eh, the topics are endless when it comes to scary story shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the history with jinn generally is around the Muslim belief system for Islam. Now, the 
it's one of those things where you can either view them as chaotic neutral, because that's pretty much what they are, or you can view them the way that the Abrahamic religions view them. And they are chaotic, broken from God spirits. Demons. Yes. We like demons. Demons are fun. Um, so in the Middle East, modern antiquity and antiquity, so many stories exist from jinn evolving from blessings to legacy long blood curses. Like, you know, those people who say, I curse you down ten lines. That's part of jinn lore. Well, what happens if they only make it like two lines and then they're like, the jinn's just going to be walking around the desert going, where the fuck that motherfucker go? You know, that'd be an interesting theory to look into. Maybe try to get a hold of someone who actually um, academically studied this. I don't know any Kabbalist rabbis. I don't either, but that's what Google's for, right? If there's any Kabbalist rabbis out there that would like to give me some information, the email is thedragonscavemail at gmail.com. <laughs> I will talk to any Kabbalist rabbi. I promise. I'll just, I'll just pick your brain. And we won't be mean about it either. We're genuinely curious. Um, so, Kabbalists, Christian priests, rabbis, witch doctors, shamans, even... <laughs> you almost said shamans. <laughs> even people, just regular blue-collar Joe next door, all share tales of encounters and even some battles wages against them, reaching back from creation even to today. As far as the stories go... That includes even members of the animal kingdom. Yeah? Well, I actually got one because all that little talk about battles waged and reaching from creation to present day. I got a present day story that I found online from this anonymous soldier um, about something that he actually came across in Iraq. Uh, so, this is his story. It's I experienced one thing when I in Iraq. I would distinctly class as a jinn. I was stationed at the time at Freedom, which is the green zone surrounding the former palaces of Saddam Hussein. There are two main palaces, the Presidential Palace and the Prince's Palace, which the soldiers colloquially referred to as Lost Lake. I hate big words. We're not the humble pirates. Lost Lake was so called because the main structure of the Prince's Palace was destroyed and the other island stood a former mosque used by the royal family for various ceremonies over the years. By international law, that was spared fire during the assault and was mostly intact. Our walls were on the outside of the road that led around Lost Lake, and that road was about a mile long. So often early morning or late evening runs would be had there to keep in shape. Army PT, it never stops. Two laps and you're done kind of thing. I was out late with a battle running the lake path as we came around the north side of the lake. We heard commotion in the former mosque, which was now the PSYOPs Company's HQ. I almost sounded like Gordo from TCG. Shout out those conspiracy guys. Whoop, whoop. <coughs> so, uh, freaking H. <laughs> to he. Uh, <laughs> so the PSYOP company's HQ. It seemed to be coming from the dome portion on the northwest side. So we kept on going. 
sure that whatever it was, they had it in hand and no shots were fired. So it was likely someone training or someone had gotten cabin favor and lost their temper again. As we rounded the southwest side into the curve that would fork into our exit back toward our chow, a sandstorm blew in from really out of nowhere. There had been no dimming of light, no orange on the horizon. It was just there all of a sudden, and one of the strongest ones I have personally ever been in. Sand hurts a lot. When you were wearing nothing but PT shorts and a thin t-shirt, so we ducked into a nearby bus stop, hoping to wait out the sand, and that's when it walked past. We heard it first, a dull scraping sound on the asphalt. It had been it if it hadn't been so regular, it would I wouldn't or I would have thought a bumper or roof panel of some sort was being blown by the winds. It was regular though, a sharp scraping noise. As it got closer we heard the thud that interspersed between the scrapes. We saw the shape in the sand outside, barely making out the size of the thing, ten to twelve feet tall. It was higher than the roof of the bus stop at its chest. Its hands gripped what I can only refer to as a thickened concept of a sword. Thick like a wood splinter, it is a concept of an axe. Or, oh, think like a wood splitter is a concept of an axe. So, yeah, it's like... Before it's honed and sharpened, I'm guessing, maybe. Um, Similarly shaped to a kopesh. Cool. I like kopeshes. I want to get one. You have to describe that to me. Kopeshes are kind of like the Dothraki swords, I believe. Oh, okay. So the Middle Eastern curvature swords. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Wicked. Fucking sick. (laughs) But rounded to the rear, then the front. The thing itself had dark skin, but paled out. Its face was not human, but more like, well, brutish and some elements of swine in there. Porcine nose, distinctly lower jaw than you'd see on a person. A spark shot from the thing as it drug it past. It headed, up, it headed north up along the path to, lo- to the Lost Lake. With it went the sandstorm. As soon as it cleared, we moved fast to the chow. And I put all the salt from my ritual box, I'm a pagan, on the edges of the room, and then I felt more safe. I honestly think the only reason I survived seeing it is that it didn't notice me in that shelter. I don't know why it was headed for the old mosque, but it slowly and methodically moved. After that, I stopped seeing the PSYOP company's unit patch at the DFAC. Not sure if they shipped out or if something happened and no one talks about it. All I know is that the thing scared the hell out of me. And I know for a fact there wasn't shit a rifle was going to do against it other than let it know where I was. That's a fucking scary story right there. I'm not going to lie. I got chills a few times while you were reading that. That is crazy, crazy. That's a badass fucking story. Well, anonymous soldier dude. Fucking Good thing you were in the bus stop, man. It's a lucho. It's totally not trying to be disrespectful. Just a goop. Wow. That definitely sets the pace for all of this. So, um, I have just a few little mentions 
nothing as awesome as that. One of the things that you can find stories of jinn in is in the Christian Bible surrounding King Solomon. He was known to have used a magic ring to control jinn and protect himself from them. It even describes the ring. The ring was set with a gem, probably a diamond, that had a living force of its own. With the ring, Solomon branded the necks of jinn as his own slaves. So that had to have been some sort of a blessed gem in that ring. I mean, either that or the the stories about him being a Kabbalist shaman wizard dude from Egypt is pretty fucking on par. Dude had powers that nobody knew about. Well, I mean, it's King Solomon. <coughs> Even after all these years of not being Christian, I remember quite a bit of magic stories in the Bible around that guy. Yeah. But, you know, they can't say that a good Christian Hebrew king was a well, witch. Technically, he was just a Hebrew Jewish king. Because Solomon wasn't Christian. That's right. This was back in Babylon, wasn't it? Bless you. <laughs> if you hear any background noise, it's just because we have thin walls. My mm. apologies. Yeah. Um, so back to King Solomon. A story around Solomon tells about a jealous jinn, sometimes identified as Asmodeus himself. A demon stole the ring while Solomon bathed in the River Jordan. The jinn seated himself on Solomon's throne as, at his palace and reigned over his kingdom, forcing Solomon to become a wanderer. God himself compelled the jinn to throw the ring into the sea. Solomon retrieved it and punished the jinn by imprisoning him into a bottle. <laughs> I Sucks wonder, to be you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly wonder if that's where some of the stories around the Thousand and One Tales with uh, Aladdin and the genie of the lamp. Wait, does that mean Ger Jerry, Jerry Garcia was a gin because he was in the little baggie around Brian's neck and half-baked? <laughs> Maybe he is. Jerry Garcia, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A second story that's been mentioned around King Solomon was where he took Jin to his crystal-paved palace where they sat at the tables made of iron, which, pop quiz, iron completely negates anything fey. Fey will include Jin. Yeah. Well, that actually brings up a good point. Um, when it comes to anything fey or pagan, one of the things you can do these days, if you're a practicer, there is a festival, a fire festival in the year called Litha. And you gotta study because you gotta be specific with everything you do. If you don't, bad shit happens. Absolutely. Um, during these fire festivals, one of the things that pagans will do is they will basically ask any jinn from the fire which usually is a very large bonfire for this festival. Not quite Beltane style, but, you know, it's there. Bringing in spices and flowers and wishes of your own manifestation. Asking Jin for blessings with no price attached. Well, there is a price. You gotta throw in some lavender. Well, I wouldn't call that a soul price, like most people would think would come with a Jin. Well, true, but unless you do it on Litha where the, the cost is heavily discounted, 
<laughs> Come on down to uh, to the <laughs> oh shit. Anyways, I lost that one. Uh, but yeah, that is perfect. Um. Anyway, so there's a little. See, brand new people gotta love it. There's a little info for you. Um. Now back to King Solomon. You can actually reference the story of Solomon taking the jinn and sitting at tables of iron. It's in the Quran. I don't have the actual passage at the moment. But the Quran tells how the king made them work at building palaces and making carpets, ponds, statues, and gardens. Whenever Solomon wanted to travel to faraway places, the jinn carried him there on their own backs. Solomon forced the jinn to build the Temple of Jerusalem and all the city as well. Now, that's something I am not, I've never heard before. I haven't either. But like, but then again, my upbringing in Christianity didn't really touch on the supernatural. They were more literalists. Mm -hmm. So it was like, God said, let there be light. Does that mean that the big, big, no, God just went click. <laughs> the difference between Mormonism and Irish Catholicism. Well, I started out Catholic. And then I was Baptist, then Protestant, did four years as Jehovah's Witness. That was fun. We'll get into those on a different episode. <laughs> well, when it comes to mysticism and anything metaphysical witchy, you notice the difference between the two beliefs. Yes. Very minimal and completely crazy. That's why I like Catholics, kind of. Because they're still like the pagans of the of the Christian religions, which is still awesome. Because they use frankincense and bells and chants and incantations and so witchy. It's so beautiful. And they still speak original Latin. I mean, Domine Patris, Sante. Sorry, Holy Grail. Anyway. Do we want to move so on? So, I actually found something pretty entertaining. There's uh, also multiple mentions in the Bible in the book of Samuel. Like, it says, uh, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. It was thought that the soothing music played by David, that the spirit was eased out of its attachment to the king. So, like, a dibbic came down, or not dibbic, but a jinn came down and overtook uh, King Saul and actually it latched onto him made him all crazy and it took David to sing it out of him ah the mystical King David is that pre or post I don't know there's like seven Davids in there I think it I think <laughs> oh wait that was that was Peter's yeah or so Paul's. many Peters so many Peters and Pauls but that's, Why are there so many white dude names in the Middle East in, like, 0 AD? Um, uh, we'll figure that out on, on Baked Vikings. Yeah, we'll deep dive on that one. So, when you're thinking about Jinn, obviously, don't always think of the genie in Aladdin as amazeballs as he was. Rest in peace, Robin Williams. We love and miss you. Yes, very much. Um, what Notwithstanding, they, though, Will Smith did an okay job at, at doing the the modern genie, which was freaking epic. The dances. 
Oh yeah. I'm not gonna lie. He pulled the Carlton. And I seen the Carlton. That was awesome. They say that it wasn't the Carlton, but that was the freaking Carlton. As much as he could do it for Disney. Yeah. I imagine. He it was like it, it was like half a motion of it, but it was still both of them were doing the Carlton, uh, hands down. He did him justice as best as he could. Now, real Jin outside of Disney are true dual-dimensional beings. They don't have to follow the rules like humans do. Some will choose power and chaos, and then there are some who will live as servants to ordinary humans just because they can. In traditional thought, as according to Islam, only heretic jinn are to be feared. Heretic jinn are the ones that Islam claims are wild, who broke from Islam away from divine God's presence. Yep. Like they, they also say that when a person's spirit and body are not connected and operating in unison, they can fall victim to the divic or the, the jinn, which is basically the same thing. Absolutely. We'll get into that in, in a little bit. But they prey on the weak or mentally ill, the, at least the chaotic ones do. Humans suffering from depression, psychosis, or who are habitual, habitually, uh, use mind-altering drugs, and are all believed to be hospitable environments for the jinn. Once inside the person, the jinn grows exceedingly wicked and worsens any pre-existing conditions. It can drive its victim deeper into a despair until they succumb to madness. So, suicide, probably, I imagine. Was I guess a huge thing back then. the chaotic ones are just like, ha, this guy looks sad. Look at his sandals. Let's eat his soul. <laughs> soul. Mmm, soul soup. Yummy. Um, one little thing here that I came across when we previously mentioned how even Animal Kingdom is not uh, spared from Jinn, Dibic, demons. While they're invisible to most people under certain, certain conditions, obviously, psychics, powerful empaths, those that have been around death from at yeah. least lore says once you've seen death, you can see anything yeah, if your mind much. is open. Even Thestrals. I want one. I bet you we could find one. Let's find a witcher. We got to go to freaking Europe and go look for Thestrals in England. I'm down. All right. <laughs> Patreon subscribers. Oh, wait, we don't have any of those yet. We'll get We're going to set up a Patreon and then you guys got to help us get to England so we could find Thestrals. We won't be able to take pictures that you'll be able to see them unless you've seen death. So, you know the rules. Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. um, other than humans, under certain conditions, dogs and donkeys can always see them. That, that makes sense. That's why dogs are always looking at the corner and growling at freaking sound. And while cats always look up and hiss. Isn't that freaking weird? They're just like laying there. Like, oh. <laughs> and she's just like... Motherfucker, I didn't even move. Right? Animals, man, they see so much more than humans could possibly see. I don't want to be a cat. That'd be freaky shit. Damn, I was going to ask, would you rather trade um, the senses with a cat for a week or a dog for a week? A dog over a cat. Yeah, because a cat, I'd just be laying in bed all day. And I already try not to do that being a stoner. Well, and knowing our attention span, someone would bring a laser pointer Squirrel. in. And <laughs> exactly. Like most of our shit. 
Hello. Um, so do we want to go into one more gin story or move into Divix? We can find some more gin stories if you'd like. I have some facts and stories from Muhammad. Well, let's go with Muhammad's story. Thank you, Muhammad, for sending in your story to uh, the Dragon's Cave Mail at gmail.com. <laughs> Shout out to the prophet himself for their belief system. Um, so, Muhammad used to warn people. I'm not sure if it's actually in the Quran because I personally have not read it yet. It's a very hard book to get a hold of. At least the English translated version. Oh, yeah. Um, he used to warn his followers covering their utensils, closing their doors, keeping their children close to them at night as jinn spread out at night and take things. Again, more relation to Fay. Mm -hmm. um, he also warned people to put out their lights as the jinn could drag away the wicks and start a fire. So they're pyros too. <laughs> little snitches or little thieves. Yeah. Right? However, they will not open a locked door. Untie a knot or uncover a vessel. Well, aren't they so considerate? Oh my gosh. Maybe they also have a slight bit of cautiousness to them crossing into this plane. Yeah, they are kind of weakened with the whole transition, but they're still kind of powerful motherfuckers, ain't they? Um, I imagine that if they got a hold of the right family and or individual, they could do some real damage. Oh, shit. The, um... The Rothschilds are Jewish. And this is part of the Jewish stuff, too. Why don't we bring that in for a second episode? Ooh. Perhaps. Theories on how the Rothschilds gained power. Check it out on BigVikingsPodcast.com. Not we don't have that .com yet, but... <laughs> it sounds pretty. <laughs> check it out on Big Vikings. We'll have the podcast coming here pretty quick. The Instagram is Baked Vikings. Uh, just what or all together, all lowercase. Baked Vikings on Instagram and on Facebook. So um, there's also a note here about gin and snakes. If people found a snake in their house, they had to call out to it for three days before killing it. If the snake was a shape shifting gin, it would leave beforehand. That's fucked up. <laughs> it is kind of fucked up. But who's that, gonna who's gonna be yelling at a snake right? in your house? Like, hold on, computer in my pocket. I got a question <laughs> for you. Computer in my pocket. Let's see. What kind of snakes are in the Middle East? Answers. Carpet vipers, elipids, what the hell are elipids, including the Latin word and fertilance, fertilance. <gasps> the fertilance snake, that guy will fuck you up, man. And rattlesnakes. So you gotta figure, these motherfuckers see a snake in their house, 90% chance that fucker's venomous. Yeah. And they gotta go. Jim, come out to play. Come out to play. We're going to kill you if you don't get out of the house. Silence. I kill you. I kill you. Uh, for three days, and they gotta be like, "What that fucking snake go?" For three days. 
Here, here's something that just occurred to me as you just said that. Three days. What is it with the number three and the, the supernatural? Well, like, for some reason, three is considered, like, the all-powerful number. But then again, it's also, like, the mark of the beast. And all these Christians always put a negative spin on everything. Mm-hmm. But th- what they don't realize is the, 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 the whole Trinity thing. Is a big thing for Christians. Mm-hmm. There's three people in the in the hierarchy of the Christian religion. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. But you fuckers are all afraid of the number three and think it's demonic. You can't have the same number that represents the holiest also represent the evilest. A lot more ass backwardsness about Abrahamic religions, dear. Yeah. But we're here to talk about the jinn. Yeah, we tend to go off on those tangents. <clears throat> Perks of being a stoner. <laughs> so, um, it even has, in my research, talks about jinn almost as if they're humans. Their own lifespan is at least twice the length of a single human. They can die, and they do on their own. Hmm. There are male and females, and there are families of jinn. Cool. They eat meat, bones, and animal dung. Stop being shit eaters. <laughs> right? <laughs> that might have something to do with their bad temperament. I mean, when you fucking <laughs> sit down, you're like, beef. Um, uh, there's still bone. Um, we got any shit for dessert? <laughs> well, no wonder they fucking have a bad fucking attitude. They're eating shit pies for fucking dinner. And bones. And bones. That's got to hurt the mouth, man. I mean, I haven't really spoke to Loki any times recently, but I heard that fucker likes bones, too. You might have to do something like that. So, also, in addition to eating strange things, they look strange for people who've actually seen them. Descriptions of their appearances always vary. They may have the legs of a goat, a black tail, or a hairy body. And a copish. I mean, again, with this whole goat Baphomet theme, this is completely crazy. Well, the one dude said it kind of looked kind of piggish. So very bestial type creatures when they are seen. Yeah. It's like half man, half beast. But like super big. Again, back to those hybrid animals. Now we may have to touch up on another one when it comes to uh, celestial type things like... The Sumerian beliefs, but that's a whole another day. Or even cryptids. That's gonna be fun shit right there. Oh yeah, Goatman. Mm, Mothman. Well, that too. Sasquatch. Swamp Ape. We always have to do a Bigfoot. I mean, yeah. Um, although most gen can live anywhere on the planet, they prefer deserts, ruins, places of impurity like graveyards, garbage dumps, bathrooms, camel pastures, and hashish dens. They well, also no wonder they're eating shit. They're sitting there in the hash dens. Hi, <laughs> opium. This is awesome. Is that kitty litter? <laughs> nom, nom, nom. That's crunchy, man. <laughs> Anywho. So are you trying to say that Cheech and Chong are gin? Because that just sounded amazeballs. <laughs> That's a legit theory. I mean, or they were possessed, because the gin do... Uh, 
when they possess their their victims, or at least the theory is that when they possess their victims, the victims take on the the characteristics and the, the personalities of the djinn. Yeah. Which is pretty fucking freaky. Also, again, coming along with possession itself and other types of supernaturals like demons. Um, so what else you got on the djinn? In Islam, it is believed that humans are unable to get in touch with the deceased, learn about the future or what happens after death, or be healed as these phenomena are in God's realm. Jinn have limited powers in these areas, but jinn can, can appear to humans as the spirits of the dead and communicate with the living through visions and voices. Those who learn the medicinal qualities of plants through plants talking to them are actually speaking with devils. It was the jinn who taught humans sorcery. Well, thank you, jinn. Yeah, you've made magic with a K possible for humans. You fucking rock. We'll get into the difference between regular David Copperfield M-A-G-I-C and then the whole magic with a K in another podcast. But we'll get there. We're just starting. So jinn will eat human food stealing its own energy unless people say the name Allah or Allah however you pronounce or, it I'm trying to be nice here or to hit the Google Translate God mm-hmm. prior to eating meals so this might be the root work for saying grace yeah like Lord's Prayer and mm-hmm. we like food can we eat it now let's see if I can recall this Bless, the, bless this, O Lord, for these thy gifts we're about to receive. Something like the that. bounty of Christ thy Lord. Amen. That's yeah. that's one of the more traditional Catholic ones. Oh, we're going to bring back my Catholicism. This is wonderful. Oh, yeah. Now, when it comes to marriage, it can happen between humans and jinn, as do the fae. It even says here, jinn fall in love with humans and marry them. There's no direct evidence of it, and no children have qualities of both jinn and human. It's always one or the other. Which is kind of freaky, but... I mean, if I was a freaking a little ha, little hybrid jinn genie human thingy, I'd be like, can I just have my powers when I'm 13? Because that's when people get annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, it also says here that a clan in the United Arab Emirates... Isn't this how you say that? It claims to descend from a female jinn. Cool. There's controversy over whether it is lawful to marry jinn, but most Islamic jurists believe it's unlawful. There also seems to be controversy as to whether a mixed marriage would be able to produce children. If the mother is human, the children will be visible and look like humans. If the mother is jinn, the children will be invisible. Well, what? Well, these things possess people, so why couldn't it be both? See, and that's what I'm about ready to move into. Jinn possession. Ordinary human acts can kill or hurt jinn without people being aware of even doing so. When that happens, jinn possess the offending people in order to take revenge on them. Um, Pinterest wants your attention. I need to remember to mute that. Others who are vulnerable to possession by jinn are those who live alone, for jinn are opposed to community. <clears throat> as do demons, aka demons. And demons. That means uh, the the demon brothers can't can't be around them. Oh, apparently not. Even though some of their movies are fucking hilarious. 
Yeah. I was meaning these these assholes that I met back when I used to live in Idaho. Oh. They're they're kind of like the local met, the the local extracurricular activities dealers. Oh lord. And they like to go hunting with uh, fully automatic weapons and then pick out the bullets. It's kind of weird. They're they're pretty stupid. Anywho. Sounds like something that would happen in Idaho. No offense to well, anybody living out there. Well, it is right in between buttfuck and you got a purdy mouth, Idaho. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there's been, like, one really famous dude that think he was, like, a funny guy or something that came from that area. Up in uh, Coeur d'Alene area? No, it's a little bit south, like, around, like, where a couple of rivers meet. I won't go into details, but, yeah, the Damon Brothers. Watch out for those guys. They got good stuff, though. Anywho. I don't want to know. So, gin. Demons, a.k.a. demons. Pairs of gin stay with each person. So, apparently, it's not just one single gin. It's usually two. Ooh. One whispers good, the other whispers evil. Oh, here, and there's another thing. You got the devil and angel on your shoulders. How much root work comes from these guys, man? I don't know, but I wish I had a, a devil and an angel on each shoulder, or maybe even a, a like a a divic on one shoulder and a gin on the other shoulder. Be a lot better than having Golem and Smeagol in my ear all the time. Yeah, but I could swear that you know some other reptilian metaphysics. Shh, they're, they're <laughs> For another day. Golem and Smeagol. Okay. I'll be sitting there going, oh look, there's a, a little kid running around like a jackass at the store. Stop your foot up, precious. Trip it. So kind of innocence. Don't do it. We don't want you to do it. It's gonna be bad. <laughs> but those are just the ones that are on my shoulders. I mean, yours probably sound like your own thoughts. I mean, hi, there's gin. What? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, when it comes to duality of gin in possession, when possessed, the person appears to be insane, exhibits signs of anger, anxiety, and depression. A woman's voice will sound like a man's. A man's voice will sound like a woman's. <coughs> Bruce Jenner. That reminds me of a joke. Imagine you're walking down a beach. You come across a gorgeous blonde laying on the beach topless, but she's on her stomach, and she goes, Hey, could you rub some lotion on my back? Or she lifts up the lotion bottle and waves it at you. You go over and take it from her. You start rubbing it on her back. You're like, Hey, sweetie, what's your name? And she turns and looks at you with those big, beautiful blue eyes and goes, My name's Elizabeth. <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? Those kind of gin? I guess we could throw that in there with this entire clusterfuck. Cool, the Bruce Jenner gin. <laughs> it's called Kardashian. Oh, you went there. Oh, buddy. I love it. So, when it comes to male-female voices being mixed up, there's also physical symptoms, including nausea after eating, headaches, frequent desire to fight, heavy shoulders, a constant feeling of dissatisfaction, and a desire to commit suicide. Aww. 
kind of sounds like bipolar. Maybe a little schizophrenia? Maybe. Look, magic with a K. <laughs> oh, he's doing can tricks. Oh, Lord. I better keep going. When it comes to human possession, you can't just ask a djinn to leave you alone because it might not be enough to induce him or her to go. Someone who's trained may be needed to perform an actual exorcism to expel the djinn from your body. Now we can get into the correlation between djinn and dibix. Cool. So, when it comes to dibix, I'm sure everybody remembers all the movies and all the stories, especially the movie The Possession. Um, but let's touch back on a little bit more of their backstory so we can lead into stuff like that. Cool. Now, according to lore, it is believed that Dibix escaped from Jewish purgatory, known as Gehenna, or were barred from entering Gehenna due to evil acts in life. They are believed to be an animated force that lingers after death to seek out and possess the body of a living person for evil purposes. The kind of person a Dybbuk seeks out to possess seems to vary, as always in these stories. In some tellings, Dybbuks specifically seek out an evil person to possess as some kind of punishment. There's that parallel with Jinn. I get it. So, like, the Jinn is the Muslim Dybbuk, and the Dybbuk is the Jewish Jinn. That sounds a lot more feasible and probable. That makes sense. I like that. I love how everything See, parallels. just coexist, people. Stop shooting at each other. You guys share the area. Live together in harmony like they do on these on. <laughs> yes. We'll have to do something like that later on. So on jokes. Whether the living host may be someone weaker and being capable of being possessed... You don't know for certain. The only thing for certain, it's always stated everywhere, Dybbuk's are hell. For an example, a Dybbuk that died alone may inhabit a person and drive them to isolate themselves, who actually hadn't been in life, further and making them as miserable as the Dybbuk was in life. Or a Dybbuk with certain vices like drugs or alcohol may turn those who they possessed into drug addicts and alcoholics. Yeah. Even worse... Dibbics who died before they could finish what they had started on Earth may force their will and evil actions on those who they possess. So again, even more Western parallels of just ghosts and demons. Everything is completely correlated. That's freaking nuts. It is pretty fucking nuts. But then again, when you actually get deeper into most stories, you find the correlations for the original versions of the story and then how it was twisted, but we'll get deeper into those at another time. Yeah. Uh, it says that if a person was possessed by a Dybbuk, there were exorcist rites specifically for Dybbuks that could be taken up in order to rid the person of the clinging soul, spirit, jinn, whatever you want to call it. However, rites are anything but simple and painless. Ceremonies would have to be conducted within a synagogue. And I imagine in moss as well when it comes to gin, if well, you really have a problem. I heard on um, one of the conspiracy podcasts that I listened to, it was either Theories of the Third Kind, shout out, or uh, scapegoats. Oh yeah. We love scapegoats. Don't Big be a sheep. shout out. Don't be a sheep, be a goat. But anyway. Ah. Um, it says that when it comes to Dybbuk ceremonies... 
they have to be conducted within a synagogue, and be witnessed by ten men wearing white corpse shrouds, arms bound with sacred parchments. Prior to this, these ten men would have had to purify themselves, usually with specific rituals and fasting. Yeah, and a lot of the stories that I've heard about them, um, there's also Kabbalist shamans located in certain, let's say, uh, more black magic kind of towns in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia kind of area, that when they have people brought to them, it could take hours, days, weeks, or even months to get rid of a divot. Oh yeah, I've, I remember reading about some of the ones as I was going through this, the ancient lore stories that don't even really go into detail about people having these in their lives for 50, 60, their entire life. I couldn't even imagine that. Kind of like being stuck with a mother that won't go away. Or asshole exes. Anyway, when it comes to, back again, Dybbuk exorcisms. The exorcist and leader of the ritual would enter the space wearing all black and immediately address the Dybbuk and not the victim. As the exorcist approached the Dybbuk, he would begin listing all the crimes the Dybbuk had made the victim commit. Once the Dybbuk was faced with its sins and strength of those backing up the ritual... And it got done giggling. Oh, I imagine there were some bad jokes, too. It's like Jack Sparrow getting his uh, crimes read out to me. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking last Sunday. <laughs> I can't believe I tripped that old lady. Anywho. <laughs> um, once the Dybbuk was faced with sins, its own, and with everyone backing up the exorcist, it may be convinced to leave the body it's possessing. If it's stubborn, more rituals would arise. Curses would be made. Incantations to rid the Dybbuk. Rid the rid the possessed of its Dybbuk. Would be read aloud. And different combinations of the 42-letter name of God would be pronounced. There's only 26 letters. Oh, wait. You can use them multiple times. I forgot. <laughs> the I, more you know. I wonder, has anyone ever survived one of these exorcisms and can recall this word? Because I cannot find it in all of my research in all these years. Well, like, only the 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 shamans or the, the super rabbis, the ones with all the, like, the, the extra tall hat and extra long curly braids down the side of their face. Their the, locks. And the super beards. Those guys are the ones that understand it because they actually got a tug on their beard when they say it. It's like, oh, it's something like that. Or I mean, it could be close to that. That's just a theory, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, eventually, the Dybbuk would be shamed and ritualed. Is that even a word? Ritualed. Ritualed. <laughs> Cast out. With a lot of warnings to never inhabit another living person again. Well, the reason why they actually go after the Dybbuk itself, instead of addressing both the Dybbuk and the person, is because the greatest danger is when the demon clings to our soul. The clinging demon, or the Dybbuk, um, is... is is what actually the only way to get him off of your soul or it off of your soul is to address it directly that's why when you see exorcisms like in the movies or on sh like ghost hunter shows or anything like that 
they're always like, we have to figure out the demon's name. Because if we get the demon's name, we're going to have power over the demon. And so, yeah, that's why they have to address it. Otherwise, they could talk to the, the person that's possessed till they're blue in the face, and that fucker's never going to respond. Kind of reminds me of William Peter Blatty's Exorcist. You notice in that last exorcism scene, they never actually used Pazuzu or Legion, which were the two demons associated with that case. Well, I think they were trying to just, like, keep it as low-key as possible. That So that way they don't have to worry about actually summoning up those demons. Because when you actually say the demon's name mm -hmm. with the connotation that it is the demon then it actually can attract it to you, kind of like sending up a soul flare into spirit space. Right. Which is kind of freaky. That's why you're not supposed to say all of these demons' names, at least if you follow these traditions. Yeah, it's always open to interpretation and personal choice. Exactly. Uh, one note about using shame in exorcisms. Divics are believed to be the souls of humans, and thus were once human, so they are still likely to fall prey to the same things as any person, like shame, fear, and fear of consequences. So they're just bitter cunts that are afraid of judgment. Sounds like it. That's pretty shitty. Right? Dibic box challenge. Oh, yeah! So, one of the cool things that we actually found in our research is... There was this challenge going around. I don't, I don't think it's still going on, but um, this challenge was ordering Dybbuk boxes or supposed Dybbuk boxes off of eBay, and then when they come in, opening them on like on the YouTube channel live. And we actually found quite a few different ones, and one of the biggest ones that we found, or at least the one that they're making a movie about, is the true story of Chris Chambers. So, when we came across this story, we're, we like to be informed. We like to do our research. We watched most of that video that was aired. We giggled a lot it, once we started noticing the fuck-ups. Absolutely. Um, so, what we saw was this guy randomly deciding to get onto the dark web, make a Bitcoin account, and buy a $250 supposed Dybbuk box. Yep. And it was actually listed as not even purchasable. You had to trade for it. Which he kind of pointed out is the only way you can technically get rid of a Dybbuk box is through trade or as a gift. Mm-hmm. And that falls into when we touch later on the possession story. Yeah. Um, so this guy we watched in the video and read about um, basically just sat in his own home with no protection, completely skeptical, and made this purchase. When it showed up, he did not use gloves. He opened the box and he... And then he put on gloves after he'd already handled it and touched a bunch of shit, got his fingerprints all over the fucking thing, which could have been full of a dead fucking baby corpse or some shit. Or anthrax. Yeah. People just are so stupid. Fucking retards. But he remarked when he got the box open, the actual shipping box, it smelled like cat pee. And also from what I remember being listed in one of the written stories, that sometimes they would catch the smell of jasmine flowers. Yeah. Pop quiz when it comes to the smell of jasmine. The Catholics believe this is the smell of sanctity. The presence of the Virgin Mary. Hmm. Huh. 
I always thought it's what Aladdin sniffed on his wedding night. Mm, it could be. <laughs> they probably made that <laughs> up. Um, anyway, so he had the smell of cat pee. And from what I remember, he said something about a garbage dump smell. So I imagine just rot. Yeah, that had to be freaking nasty. I remember staying with my grandma for a while, and she had like eight cats. And I don't like the smell of cat pee. It's horrible. Mm, yeah, and it doesn't help that most cat owners don't clean their boxes properly. Dirty motherfuckers. Um, he even said that he was completely unsettled. The moment he pulled it out of the box, beyond the smell of it, was a presence. Its own entity sitting right next to him, though he couldn't even see it. Now, Chris had actually gone out and gotten an EMF meter. And we watched him use it on ovens on his oven and his microwave to show that it was picking up the electromagnetic magnetic waves perfectly fine. It went to his light, went to his uh, his heating unit and everything, and I mean, it did what it was supposed to do. And then when he brought it towards the box, at least from my observation, at least seven to eight inches away, it would start, the EMF detector would go off. And it was going fucking nuts. Yeah, at every angle. And then, in the middle of doing it, his EMF reader broke. Yeah, just out of nowhere. Like, he opened the box, and the EMF meter just stopped working. Or at least it just stopped picking up anything. Which, again, leads to that whole observation of, was it a real Dybbuk box? Or could it have possibly signaled that the Dybbuk, or the, the, the Dybbuk that was inside the box got out, and it wasn't anywhere near, so there's nothing for the EMF detector to pick up? makes more sense when you when you go into later in the video uh, he brings in a spirit box it's yep. a radio scanning device that spirits can interfere with and use the static to communicate in the form of audible words or sentences that you pick up through the static it's pretty cool yeah and we've used them before they're kind of freaky but kind of cool at the same time what's really messed up is when you actually are in an area with really high levels of uh like electro interference from like radio towers and different signals so like sometimes if you have the the sweep rate too slow it'll be like hola señores señores let me tell you about the it's pretty fucking annoying so just make sure Put your phone on airplane mode or you take off the antenna so that way it doesn't actually pick up those signals and it's just straight static. Absolutely. Always make sure you're doing things properly. Um, so anyway, when he used the spirit box around it, he asked, is there a demon in this box? And almost within 15 seconds of viewing him do that, a sound came through the spirit box. And the caption on the video obviously is there for a reason, and it said, yes. He also heard the word help. Kind of like someone was screaming it. But it, then it also sounded like a dude that was like, help, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. And for all we know, it could have been picking up on a satellite signal from a TV show. Yep. That's why you always want to do your research. Um, basically, after all of that, he... Uh, that's when the actual EMF detector broke, because he was still using it with the spirit box. Yeah. And right after the EMF detector stopped, he said there was a strange heat coming from the box. Yeah. Everything was hot to touch it. And then he pulled it all out and started fucking with it like an asshole. 
yeah, there was hair. There was, I mean, you, he couldn't even figure it out, but from the looks of the video, it looked like a pool of old wax. Yeah, it was pretty creepy. And a piece of paper with what could be or could not be, this is allegedly, a Hebrew word yeah. that meant to be freed. Yeah. Written on a piece of paper. It looked like blood, could be mud. I mean, again, allegedly. Yeah. Um, but there was also grave dirt, or he thought was ash, but it was actually, from what we researched on the practice of trapping a dibbic, it was actually, you, you need grave dirt yes. to be able to trap the dibbic in the box. Especially if it's their actual grave, if you're trapping a specific dibbic. Either their grave or the grave of the, the person that the dibbic caused to die. Mm-hmm. Um, after that point, watching the video... It was almost like watching found footage movies like Paranormal Activity. Yeah. He set up all of his cameras around his apartment to keep tabs on everything that was happening. One of the first things that happened during the, I want to say, it wasn't even nighttime yet. No, it was like the first day when he first opened it, uh, the lights started flickering and the picture frame fell off of the wall and slammed into the floor and it freaked him out. It was pretty funny i was like watch the picture's gonna fall because it's all leaning from the wall yep. and then all of a sudden <laughs> and then yeah it's funny um there was one part of the video that you know when you're when you're trying to do research and watch a video like this you're not always paying attention but we looked up and it was his bedroom ceiling fan just dropped onto his bed randomly mm -hmm. so here's my skeptic part here Everybody who has ever seen something like a fan fall from a ceiling... I've replaced them, and I know that there's a fuck ton of wires. There were no wires on that fan that nope. fell. It just dropped right the fuck out of the sky like fucking Johnny... Or, uh, Steve-O jumped on it. <laughs> so, it was one of those things where we aren't 100% convinced it's a legit thing. So, Chris Stevens, good job. Don't know if it's real or not, but we're kind of leaning on the side of maybe not 100%. Mm -hmm. Again, allegedly. Allegedly. So, I figure we could also share the main Dybbuk box story. Ooh, this is a great one. Everybody, I'm going to assume here, when you're going to listen to this, you're probably aware of some of these things, like the movie The Possession. The actual movie is based on a real story. Several different people are involved in this. Uh, we start out with Kevin Manis, who first bought the Dybbuk box as a wooden wine cabinet for his antique furnishing shop. It was among a pallet of items, part of an auction lot. He placed the winning bid and was approached by the woman who said to him, I'm assuming this is a woman related to the people who did the estate, said that she had noticed he bought the Dybbuk box. Manus offered to give it back, thinking it was an heirloom, but the woman ran away crying, exclaiming she never wanted to see the box again. <laughs> I would have took that box and chucked it out the window on the side of the fucking freeway. I would have gone out in the woods and built a fire and burnt it. You can't burn them. You can burn them. They're like magic books. You can't burn them. Well, you know what? I would damn well try. Right, fire is amazing. <laughs> fire. <laughs> fire. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. 
Now, when Manus took it back to his shop, he left it in the basement because he planned to do minor repair work, rubbing some oil into the wood. I'm sure cleaning it up, it probably looked like crap. <laughs> A little spit shine. <laughs> spit shine. <laughs> Anywho. Almost immediately, anyone who came towards the box suffered wrath. For example, one of his clerks left alone with the box, heard cursing and sounds of breaking light fixtures. She left the shop and never came back, even for her last check. See you, bitch. Another couple who bought the box from Manus's store mysteriously left it on the store's stoop a few days later with a note saying the box had a bad energy. That, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps right now, even imagining having something returned to me with a note like that. Nice. Now, Manus decided the wine cabinet, which he hadn't associated with anything strange happening around him, would make a nice gift to his mother. According Your to... Your mom a curse box. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you, mom. Here's a curse. Now, according to the second-to-last owner, uh, Kevin's mother received the box and suffered a stroke promptly, leaving her partially blind, unable to speak, and paralyzed. Soon all kinds of unexplainable events occurred surrounding the box. Anyone who slept near it would have dreams of being pummeled by a demented hag, notice odd scents, and see shadowy figures. Manus himself, fearing for his own safety and afraid that anything destroying or harming the box might leave these spiritual entities in his own home, he sold the wine box to a college student on eBay. The student himself also witnessed everything unexplainable. When his hair started to fall out in clumps, he decided to get rid of it too, as per Haxton, the second to last owner. Hold on, one quick thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually found some cool, interesting information on Menace real quick. So, like, he owned uh, a refurnishing business in Portland, Oregon, when he bought the or when he bought the box, right. which is why he had all the equipment that he thought he'd fix it up, make it look all pretty for his mom. Uh, the the lady that freaked out on him when he bought it, he went and looked up the history, and he actually found out that it had belonged to a survivor of the Holocaust that lived in Poland named Hevela, and she had escaped to Spain and purchased it there before her immigration to the U.S., Hevela's granddaughter, the, the lady that went screaming from Menace, she actually told him when he asked her about it uh, that it was the family heirloom, and then he was like, well, here, take it back, and she was like, nope, don't want to see it, and then that's when she went taken off. But yeah, it's some creepy shit. Absolutely. And if it's from the Holocaust, it's got so much freaking negative energy with it. The fear, the angst, the anger. I could only imagine what that would give birth to spiritually. And since the Dybbuk's are Jewish jinn, I mean, it's super-powered, super-Jew demon. <laughs> Super-Jew? <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to hell in a Prada handbag. Yep. So, now, when Haxton stepped in to own the Dybbuk box, he had a curious and healthy dose of skepticism. He quickly learned, however, there may be truth to the stories surrounding this item. Immediately upon getting it, he began experiencing a host of disturbing issues including prophetic dreams, health problems like his own vision being completely at 100% loss randomly, choking, metallic taste that lasts for weeks, sudden welts and hives, 
see, and again, another parallel with hauntings. But it's also another parallel with side effects that happen when you have too much cat piss in your house. Yeah, you're right. Because my, my grandma was always sick with some kind of a lung disease because of fucking cat pee, but she couldn't get rid of her nine black cats. Mm -hmm. I imagine that's why many people with cats have respiratory problems. Um, also, seeing shadow creatures that floated across the floor and along his home walls. In spite of all of this, he saw himself as the caretaker of this box. And over the term of his stewardship of this box, his thoughts about the Dybbuk evolved from being afraid to noticing that each caretaker he had ever spoken to had passed the Dybbuk box on reports both relief and loss, all regret losing control of it. Yeah. Some sort of attachment, maybe, that forms in your soul. Kind of like spirit Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah. Like, you're tormented so much, but you're so used to it being there that it just... You're just like, oh, I miss my friend. He, he used to beat me. I'm like, ow! Where are you going? Come back. Well, and see, with that, that leads also into the theories of Dybbuk's and Jin being the actual causes of mental illness. Mm -hmm. People who come off and on meds have those exact same behaviors. Yeah. Um... So Haxton, who decided not to get rid of the box as quickly as everyone else, called in scientists, Kabbalists, Wiccans, and those in the paranormal, I imagine people like uh, the psychics that we see on Ghost Hunters. Probably like uh, Chip Coffee, Michelle Belanger. I don't know if they've seen it, but I do know that uh, a couple of uh, Ghost Hunter people have gotten to see it, and I think actually one of them owns it now. We're probably going to get into that here shortly, uh -huh. um, because as we know, Haxton was the second to last owner. When he finally had it for a certain amount of time after all his research, it was sealed within um, acacia wood, an ark made of acacia wood. Well, um, from what I've heard, the acacia plant mm -hmm. is actually um, one of the prime derivatives for harvesting DMT in the Middle East. Oh, that's going to be a fun one to dive into on another one. I want to touch I can't that. wait till we do psychedelics. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to the wood arc he had to put it in, it was lined in 24 karat gold. Mm. And Haxton claimed that it calmed everything. He further explained upon, in, upon interviews while owning it, he moved towards understanding and exposing the truth at even the smallest levels. Dude, um, quick question. Did you actually say what was in the, what was actually in the Dybbuk box? That there, that keeps getting passed around? So for this one, it's never actually stated what was in it. There I have it right here. I just found it. Did you find it? Yeah. Awesome. Let's hear it. So one thing that was in it, or the things that were in it was one 1928 U.S. wheat penny. One 1925 U.S. wheat penny, one small lock of blonde hair bound with string, one small lock of black brown hair also bound with string, a small granite statue engraved and gilded with Hebrew letters. I have been told that the letters spell out the word shalom. One dried out rosebud, one golden wine cup, one very strange black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs. 
Sounds fucking cool. I want one. It also brings into question why it would have the Jewish word for peace. Maybe it's trying to calm the Dybbuk by trapping it in like a... Kind of like how they planned on fixing uh, the demolition man. They mm -hmm. freeze him and just have that... The computer, Yeah, reprogramming him. You just surround him with the word peace. That, again, with the power of suggestion with humanity. It's completely crazy. Yeah. Um, what Haxton believes. The box acts out its earliest owners and others a way of continuing to move toward the ultimate goal of its creator. Those not willing to move it forward receive stronger assaults from it until they let loose of the box so it could find someone else who would fulfill its destiny and accomplish the goal or task it was given. Now the journey in its work is finished at this point until we discovered the new and current owner is Zach Baggins of Ghost Adventures. Yeah, that's some cool shit. And he was going to open it up on a Halloween special one year. And uh, Post Malone was there with him, and they were getting all psyched up to do it, and then he kind of just chickened out. I don't know if he's actually opened it or not yet, but from as freaked out as he was just touching the glass and trying to touch the box, it was it was pretty tricky, but I guess to each their own, I'd go open the damn thing, because I'm not really that uh, afraid of haunted objects or anything, because things only have power when you let them. Absolutely. Um, one thing I remember coming across in the interviews of Zach and Posty, I'm always going to call him Posty, I'll never shake that, is that Post Malone has had health problems since that interview episode that they did together. So it makes you wonder why they chickened out. Well, not if uh, Post Malone's getting all sick and he's going to end up freaking... I mean, he already looks like a a 45-year-old bag lady, so... <laughs> that is so true. As far as everyone knows, this actual Dybbuk box that we've been talking about is in display at Zach Baggins' museum. In Vegas. In Vegas, that you can go see, although it says that you have to sign a waiver. <laughs> so I imagine that there's some creepy shit. So, just so you know, we are planning on going down to Vegas sometime this year, and... If the chance provides itself, we are going to make a stop by Zach Baggins' uh, haunted museum. We're going to sign the stupid waiver, and we're going to go in, and I'm going to freaking make fun of the Dybbuk in the Dybbuk box. Let's see if something funky happens. I am definitely excited for that, and all the little oddity shit we're going to hit. Um, so, that's basically what covers this subject. Um, I do want to bring it back to anyone who wants to write in at all Rock, their own. Rock, Rock more. Oh, did you find a net another story? Well, like, there's so much more you can go into with the whole Dybbuk box, like the Dybbuk box. When uh, Kevin Menace and Jason Haxton, they actually got a freelance writer to help them co-write the book, The Possession. And then the oh. freelance writers stole all the credit. Yeah, uh, uh, they got together to uh, work on it. Um, he, Haxton's ownership of the Dybbuk box has been the predominant one, as he has had it ever since 2004. He's probably the best known owner and wrote the seminal book on it, the 2011 book, The Dybbuk Box, and maintains the principal website, DybbukBox.com. It has a 2013 live YouTube video of, or YouTube appearance in which he announced the anti-aging effects 
he believes the box conferred upon him. Kind of like Smeagol in the ring. Right. I mean, does that mean the ring is a Dybbuk item? Well, if That'd be kind of trippy. Now think about the history behind Sauron and the Necromancer. Every, every well, one like, of his incantations, he was demonic sorcery. And he is just shadow and flame. Absolutely. He, he's a giant Sauron eye. is a freaking Dybbuk in armor. He's either a Dybbuk in armor, or he's the world's best Necromancer Kabbalist. That's fucking cool. J.R.R. Tolkien we for the it. win. J.R.R. Tolkien just came in and put that shit in our brains because he's dead. But so, um, yeah, so he says it has anti-aging effects that the box put on him. And it was the book that he describes how the box affected him physically with problems such as hives, welts, and coughing up blood. He, Like you said earlier, mm-hmm. he does not offer any convincing exp- explanations about these effects, um, but he blames the box. And it's caused multiple people but uh, to have those same effects. Uh, unfortunately for Kevin Menace and Jason Haxton, co-writing credits for the possession ended up going not to them, but to freelance entertainment writer Leslie Gor- Gornstein. Gornstein? Gornstein? I'm, I'm going to say Steen just for safety's sake. <laughs> Epstein didn't hang himself. <laughs> Hashtag um, allegedly. Allegedly. Who wrote up the tale in a short article for the Los Angeles Times in 2004? Haxton and Manis did both receive film credits for production consultant. Probably not what they were hoping for, but better than nothing. A few years later, in 2007, Manis did successfully produce a pair of short films, The Miracle and Pretty Pitchy Pine Tree. Fucking Pretty Pitchy Pine Tree. Say that five times fast. (laughs) Dude needs to come up with better names. Mm Mm-hmm. He needs to go talk to the dude that names all of the secret government projects. Project Firefly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> join the Space Force. Haxton <laughs> still works in, at the museum, and the book still sells reasonably well. So, yeah, good times. I mean, dude's kind of made money off of it, so I'm not really a big fan of people making money off of stories and shit, but, I mean, teach their own. We'll get into more people that make money off of stories and made-up shit. But we don't know if this is real or not, because we haven't seen the box, but there are certainly a lot of very convincing stories. Some more convincing than others, obviously. Well, yeah. So, one of our fun things that we actually want to do, since we're wrapped up with this topic, we want to bring it back to a little bit of fun um, with our idea behind having you guys the listeners send in some stories for us to read and as we're just now asking for these stories to get sent to the dragons cave mail at gmail.com we are going to actually share a couple of fun or at least one story each from our own personal lives that we both think would be entertaining to share I have to yes you have to go first Alright, let's see. Which one do I want to share? Well. Alright, so. When I was roughly 22, I kind of got really big into the show Paranormal State. And so I went and got a digital camera and an EVP recorder and a bunch of other stuff. And we would go to like graveyards and random places to go 
try and catch spirits in the act. Because death's always been one of them things that I've always been interested in. Loved hanging out in graveyards because it's the one place where no matter how busy it is out in the real world, it's always quiet there. Mm-hmm. Quiet like a grave. But, so, so, one day we were actually going around and trying to find places to go. We decided to go to an old, uh, sub- allegedly haunted uh, hospital that was no longer in use. And we were walking around the outsides trying to take pictures of orbs and stuff. And we didn't really find anything until we found an, a door that had been busted in. So we went inside, knowing that there was trespassing signs everywhere. But we seen an entrance, so we're like, fuck it, let's go see if there's any ghosts in here, because we'd heard some stories. So we went inside, and we're walking around, and came into a room, and heard some tapping on the wall. So I took a quick picture in the room, and on the wall it said, welcome to hell. And I was like, what the... F-? And then we actually, like, turned on our cell phone lights and somebody had painted on the wall, welcome to hell, we're like, motherfuckers. But when we were walking towards a set of stairs, we started hearing footsteps coming up them. And one of my friends actually got pushed down the stairs. Oh, fuck. He didn't fall very far. He only, like, stumbled and started to fall down the stairs, but he caught onto the handrail and got out of it pretty quick. But... Then about 10 minutes later, cops showed up and kicked us out. We got away with not getting a trespassing, trespassing tickets by saying that we were doing an online course for the Penn State Paranormal Research uh, course at Penn State and back in the East Coast. They're like, are you guys high? This is pre-stoner days, but yeah, it was good times. Wow. I'll have to remember all of the instances that I did at Western State Hospital, but... For now, my not-so-flashy story, when I was probably about 10, 11, we were living in North Tacoma, right outside University of Puget Sound on North Cedar. About two or three houses down were really the only friends I was able to hang out with on a regular basis, a girl and a boy, and their house was three stories, old, creaky, you knew that that was just one of those houses. Well, these kids had their own Ouija board. And it was my first time being ballsy enough to say, I'll play. It'd been offered a couple times before that by other friends, and I immediately ran away. Can we get one? We'll make one. Alright. That's more potent. So this was one of those, I would say, first or second editions of the in-store Ouija boards. Oh, okay. It remains its own. It's always going to do what it's going to do. So the three of us sat down in the upstairs play area and we put it on the ground. And I don't even remember what we were asking. Just random shit because we're 10, 11 years old. We don't know what we're doing. We're playing with a Ouija board in a really creaky, old, creepy house. All I do remember from this day was really crazy sudden noises and the feeling like something was about ready to try to hurt me. I can't even describe how that feels, but it's that sense of impending doom. Maybe you got possessed by Divic. Oh, that would be interesting. All of my mental health bullshit. (laughs) Come out! In the name of... The 
power of Christ compels me. But anyway, anyway, so once all this started to happen, I freaked out. And I lost any balls that I grew for that evening. And I literally got up and ran from that room straight to my house. And if I recall, I tried to play it off with my mom. Because much as I love her dearly, for the longest time she was a skeptic of a lot of this stuff. So you kind of do that whole, it's a need-to-know basis. Yeah. And that was all I ever talked about past that. I made sure that those friends of mine did not bring it up again. I didn't want to see it. I said, if I go in your house, I don't want to see that stupid thing. We ended up kind of not being friends after that. We slowly became less close. Well, maybe if they're listening. Listeners. now that you're open to the topic, maybe you guys can reconcile. Unless they're shitty friends, and fuck them. I mean, I only lived on in that area for a year, so I would I would count them as childhood acquaintances at this point. Bitter oh, bad. But it's one of those things where it just it is burned in your brain, and also why I want to make our own report. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah. Um, Hope you guys had fun sticking with us through all the crazy that is this podcast, episode one. Yeah. And just remember, if you want to send in your stories and have us read them, we, and I will even actually try to do it in the voices of Smeagol and Golem, uh, you got to re- send those in to the Dragon's Cave Mail at gmail.com, and I'm going to be the only one that gets them. So I can read them to her, and she can get scared shitless. Well, you're gonna try. We'll do our best. Yes, you do. So, this is Knox. And Bear. Signing out for this time. See you next time.